Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com slash sageandsavant and become a supporter. This month's program, entitled A Partial Detente, features the music of The Cog is Dead. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our heroes, the professor had caught the doctor in the act of vivisection. How did she react to him having access to her laboratory even though she expressly locked him out? With cold, hard silence. Petra? The doctor's back is rigid. A muscle jumps at the corner of her jaw. Completely ignoring the professor, she carefully severs the brainstem of the SBMI on her table, cutting away the spinal cord and lifting the gelatinous mass of the brain up and out of the protective skull. She sets the brain lightly in the basin she had prepared for it and then slowly turns to face her erstwhile friend. Why, Professor Savant, I did not expect to see you today. Petra, I know you're mad, but hear me out. Dr. Sage, please. At least you can give me that courtesy. Doctor, I realize this is an invasion of your privacy. <laughs> you realize? It is an egregious affront, but one I pray that the weight of our friendship and the depth of my regard can somehow overcome. There is no person on earth who believes more in your genius than I. You have a funny way of showing it. Well... Yes, I've made a real hash of things, but my concerns... Your concerns! Your concerns! Are we to once again focus this conversation on a man's thoughts? Is the weight of your concern always to hold more value than my own ideas? 
I locked you out so that I could focus on my own thoughts. And yet here you are, having found a way into my laboratory once again, waving your concerns about as if they should be the focus. It is exhausting. Well, that's not... I I didn't mean... I... I... I knew you and Abigail were spying on me two months ago. You knew? The auto-feeder for the creatures was always magically full. There is a new tapestry in the history wing conveniently placed in front of the walled stair. There are multiple sets of footprints in the dust on the stairs themselves. Really, the pair of you are horrible at centrifuge. The only thing I didn't discover was the mechanism you used to open the wall. But why didn't you say anything or do anything? Because I am focused on my own pursuits. And if I'm wholly honest, I was grateful not to have to think of the animals. So you took no further steps to block us out? You were not interfering with my work. As long as that remained the case, I had more important demands on my time. I want to apologize, Dr. Sage. I placed my personal fears above all and and spoke precipitously. I tried to impose my own morality without fully understanding the background reality of medical research nor the implications to progress if such research was restricted by my naive moral code. I was wrong. Thank you. Now get out. Get out? Yes, get out. I have work to do. But I, uh, yes. All right. Not knowing what else to do, Savant retreats down the stairs as the doctor focuses in on the work in front of her. Vivisection of a brain is not pretty, ladies and gentlemen, and I think we shall skip ahead to see what Sage learns without the need to observe each and every cut. Continuation, 30th July, 1896. Vivisection of the SBMI's brain did not reveal a lesion, nor a distinct surgical scar. It rendered possible proof of tampering in the brain of the SBMI. In the exact location on the right frontal lobe where I discovered lesions in the brains of epileptics, I found a small silver metal hoop, not larger than two millimeters in diameter. A sliver of scar tissue shows the tiny cut that allowed for the hoop's insertion. I cannot say for sure if this is an incision. I shall take this metal artifact to the chemistry department to determine what type of metal it is, but my assumption is that if it was a surgical implant intended for transmigration, then it must be metal with either ferromagnetic or paramagnetic qualities. Whilst the hoop is being tested, I shall compare the slices of the SBMI brain with those collected from all the other samples, cross-checking that the only true difference is the hoop in the former and the lesions in the latter. Despite my assumptions, I remain aware of the possibilities that the hoop was not a surgical insertion but a childhood accident of some kind, leading to head injury and metal scraps being left behind. I do wish I'd taken time to shave the head and examine possible scar tissue before I cracked the skull. I must learn to slow myself and continue to perform methodical and exact science if I'm to produce a paper that cannot be ignored. A few weeks passed as Sage endeavored to discover a way to make co-apperception a reality. 
She was indeed correct. The metallic hoop inserted into the SBMI's brain was made of molybdenum, a paramagnetic metal with a high melt point and one of the lowest thermal expansion coefficients. If rendered sterile, this metal was unlikely to cause problems in the human body or under the intense electrical field created by transmigration. Sage had her answer. Now she simply needed to find a willing surgeon, a prospect made challenging by the new provost. The incoming class will be 132 students to overall roster, which will put a stress on existing laboratory space. Effective immediately, the following laboratories will be converted to instructional theatres. First floor, St. Stephen's, St. Giles and Blackfriars. Second floor, Galgate and Gorgie. The following research fellows will be transitioned into lecturers for the new term to help accommodate the increased student body while the Board of Regents hires new professors. S. Berg, J. Campbell, P. Newton, and P. Sage. Uh, Provost McNish, I'm sorry. There must be some mistake. I cannot be rotated onto lecture duty. I still have one year of research requirements. For the grant from Les Chargés de l'Affaire? The college is aware. A letter has been sent to the granting organization explaining that you will be turning over your research notes to Dr. Johnston and Graham, who will continue your research from this point forward. That will not be possible. Well, the college will lose the grant. I am sure the granting agency has learned to have a healthy respect for our institution and the high quality of our resurgence with the success of the limb reattachment. We are close to deployment of mechanical limbs that will not withdraw funding now. But thank you for your concern, Dr. Sage. <clears throat> you can see me after this meeting for your autumn lecture schedule. Now, turning to the minimum academic standards for the new first years. Petra's blood was boiling, and the haze of anger stopped me from hearing anything else the new provost said. Immediately after the meeting, she placed a phone call to Paris from the foyer phone. Huitem et les isons, c'est concept. Les chars de l'affaires. They are trying to shut down my research. Dr. Sage, who is trying to stop your research? McNeish, the new provost. He's attempting to force me into a lecturer's position and plans to transfer my research to Drs. Graham and Johnson. I do not have to explain the impossibility of that proposal. No, of course not. That is untenable. It gets Worse, they are transforming the lower laboratory into an instructional theater. Construction begins on Monday. The lower laboratory? But what of your sleeping chamber? I presume it will be converted as well. I've already been instructed to vacate, which means they will discover the lift when they attempt to move the wardrobe. Well, that cannot happen. You must have access to your laboratory. That is the only thing that will not be a problem, ironically. Erasmus broke my trust by creating a hidden entrance by the back stair. There is a second entrance? Yes, but that does not get me moved off of teaching duty and it does not give me a legitimate reason to maintain a research position. Hmm... Perhaps we should think of a reason that you must be on a leave of absence. I wonder if we should employ the Major John Wesley Powell fiction again. We can let the college know that we will stop the endowment unless you personally travel to Washington, D.C. in order to fit the Major's new prosthetic. That would buy us a few months at least. 
Could she manage to enter the laboratory without Dr. McNeish noticing? The hidden stair entrance is from history, which few medical students venture into. Good. Few is not none. There would still be a strong risk of discovery. It is a small university. What if you change your hair or dress in the clothes of a man? I assume your time in Charles has made you comfortable enough. I could cut my hair. Thanks to the electrical burns last year, there's already a good part of it that's short. Good! I wonder if we could create an alter ego for you, get you papers? Oh, I don't think we need to go that far. King's is a public university. All hallways and quads are open. No one is checking papers. Still, none of this will count for anything if the lift is discovered. I thought you had it locked. Well, I do. But once the shaft is discovered, someone's bound to wonder what it leads to. Good point. I shall have the workmen at your beck this weekend. We're sorry. Call has gone beyond time. Please vacate the line as a courtesy to other callers. Of course, operator. Begging pardon. So sorry. That's our time. I'll work from my sitting room in the second floor laboratory this weekend to be available when your workmen arrive. Please let me know how the conversation with the provost goes. Yes, but Petra, there is another thing we must speak of. Talking to Calypso, Petra realized that she had not thought of how to explain the SBMI's absence from the Paris office of Le Chargé de la Faire. The telephone allowed for a quick way to forestall that conversation, but sooner or later she would have to pay the piper. How she manages that, we'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of The Cog is Dead. shop I know on the edge of town. The city says it's got to go. They want to tear it down. No one wants to lose it. It's been here for so long. But they're bringing in the demo team and soon it will be gone. And as they raise the wrecking ball up to the sky, the foreman looks and notices the owner's still inside. They say, Mirta, come on. There's a wrecking Gonna cave, this is her domain. Her family's had this store for years, and she ain't gonna change. She opens up the curtains, and much to our surprise, she's got a massive cannon and a strong look in her eyes. And as she loads the cannonball and lights the fuse, the foreman tries to stand his ground, but he's shaking in his shoes. They say, Mirtak, come on, there's a wreck. Oh, Mirta, you're through. There's a job that we're gonna do. 
anywhere you want them. You've got the upper hand, it's time to let them know. Just point your cannon out there, give those men a good scare. Show them you mean business and they've got to go. And as she blasts the cannonball above their heads, the foreman waves his handkerchief and this is what he says. He says, And now, back to our story. When we left our doctor, she was conspiring with Calypso to once again hide all evidence of her secret laboratory. The next record I have places us at the end of August, a month afterward, and things are a little different, to say the least. Dr. Siege, I cannot believe that is you. The suit, the bowler, the tie. You look exactly like a boy. And what have you done with all your hair? Is it up in the hat? The doctor is indeed dressed as a young man, wearing a wool serge suit, a bowler hat, and pasteboard collar neatly banded by a striped silk tie secured with a tie pin. In response to her friend's query, Sage sweeps off her bowler, revealing neatly shorn hair, her curls clinging close to the curve of her skull. With the hat off, the illusion of maleness slips just a bit. Sage makes for a very pretty boy. Looking around to be sure no one has seen her, Sage replaces the hat. Well, the sides have been shaved for a while now, and I have to admit appreciating the ease of care such short hair affords. Certainly it makes it safer in the laboratory. Did Erasmus convey my wishes? He has asked me to show you the mechanism to enter the laboratory from this side, yes. But why now? Why did you wait a month to contact me? Where have you been? Working. When Dr. McNeish announced that he was turning the surgical laboratory into a teaching theater, I knew I needed to act. I called Calypso and she sent workmen to seal up the lift shaft. Then I took ship to Paris to meet with her and plan the next stage of my research. I assume you've continued to take care of the animals? Of course. But what will the next stage of your research be? How do you plan to... I mean, won't it be more likely than ever that you'll be found out? Obviously, I will only transmigrate during the day, and on sunny days at that, to help lessen the light refraction of the apparatus. But also... I suppose you've not yet seen the copper induction tables in action. The copper diffuses the electrical pulse, greatly reducing the observable effects of both transverse electromagnetic and longitudinal mechanical waves. Abigail nodded dumbly, pretending that she hadn't already tested the tables many times with the professor as they scrambled to discover just what Sage was up to. Oh, well that is good then. Have you begun your research paper? I could help with that. Perhaps soon. They're... Just a few remaining tests. So, shall I come up with you? We could get back to work? I appreciate you, Abigail, I really do. But there are just some things I'd better do on my own. 
Deciding it was better not to push the doctor further, Abigail made sure the corridor was empty and then demonstrated which stone to push to activate the wall mechanism. Alright then, I'll just go work on my graduate project. I have a gavet cow, a small herd of goats, and a mother pig and her babies to look in on. Thank you, Abigail, for your constancy. I... Well, thank you. Damn, where were the Lucifers and Candle again? I wish I could tell you, dear listeners, where the doctor went after that, but once again the record skips. The next entry I have for September of 1896 comes from the diary of Erasmus Savant. The day after Abigail showed Dr. Sage the hidden stair laboratory entrance, she and the professor enter to find the doctor insensible on the slab, her body encased in the usual Faraday setup, her mind away to the far future once again. Her trajectory is a duplicate. I've seen this pattern before. Where? When? I'll have to cross-reference it. Are we still going to chase after her? I mean, she seems to have thawed. A bit. She softened enough to make a request of me, but that is not the same as forgiveness. No, I suppose not. I'll just go look up our exact trajectory whilst you get dressed. Are the animals all fed? We can wait until they're taken care of before we leave. Her return is set for three weeks out. We have time. Good idea. Thank you, Professor. Our heroes set the laboratory to rights, donned their Faraday gear, and confirmed their destination before taking their places on the center plinths and transmigrating. I've tried everything I can and I'm ready to call the code. Does anybody else have anything? Okay. Code called at 822. <gasps> <coughs> <Oxygen>. <coughs> Abigail has come to in the body of a young man, dead from an accidental drowning sustained at the zoo where he is employed. The emergency room doctors work intently for the next few minutes until the vitals stabilize. The hospital itself looks very familiar to me. The instrument panels, the clothing, they are definitely somewhere close to my own time and city. While the doctors work on Abigail, we should check in on the professor. One lovely thing about hospitals, most specifically hospitals that serve large urban populations, is that they can generally provide host bodies in close approximation. Savant has awoken in the body of a very elderly woman who breathed her last in the care and comfort of the assisted death wing in the hospital. The first thing he noticed as he opened his eyes was the ivy wall with the sound of a trickling waterfall cascading through the leaves. He could hear songbirds but was unable to see them at any place in the greenery. If I could talk to him, I would let him know that the water and birds are recorded to help make a pleasant environment for life's end. Hospitals and end-of-life care facilities have employed similar methods for 75 years now. It helps calm both the dying and the grieving family. The second thing Savant notices is the general softness of the body he has occupied. 
Delicate, thin skin on the backs of hands gnarled with age. Cheeks soft as the curve of a peach. Long tendrils of white hair, fine as spider silk. He sits up, noticing the luxurious quality of the nightgown he is wearing, hearing the gentle swish of the fabric against the smooth blue bedsheets. Giving his body a quick once-over, he finds no injuries. He stands, tentatively testing his balance, but all is fine. Savant crosses to a small table next to the door where there was a neatly folded pile of clothes topped by a strange glass rectangle. He touches the glass and a picture flares to life under his fingers. He marvels at the picture in the glass, a portrait of the body, seated in a wingback armchair, hair swept into a bun on the top of her head and holding a small fluffy dog in her lap. Oh, this is remarkable. I think it might be one of those computers like the tables we encountered on the ship. The professor forgot about Abigail or finding the doctor as he stared at the marvel in his hands. It held the same kind of icons they had seen before, neatly laid out in a grid. One that clearly looked like some kind of food. One with a picture of an umbrella, complete with falling rain. One with a square grid that looked like a calendar. He touched a finger to this last and it opened to full screen. A calendar indeed. September 3rd, 450 Ekata. Huh. I wonder what the dating system has become. Anokata. The year against, the year down, the year back? Curious. 450th year after cataclysm. My own time. The savant closes the calendar and opens another icon. This one indicating a piece of paper. Last will and testament. Effie Howard, Lake Recondite General, September 3rd. Everything I own of value is willed to Beauregard Sebastian Poof, my dog. But alas, my dear Poof predeceased me. There are no other inheritors. I have no other family. I'm glad to be quit of this world. I freely release all the worldly possessions to the common good in compliance with the Shared Society Act. What? Did the injection not work? Dr. Jones to evacuation 310. Dr. Jones to evacuation 310. While the hospital copes with the sudden reversal of their patient's health and well-being, I am going to try to find the doctor. I am still only getting a wavering connection to Sage, a fluctuating grasp on her consciousness. But if she is here, in my time, perhaps I can find her. I wonder if I could go meet her. In person, I mean. That would probably not be wise, Justin. Although, knowing where the doctor is and what she is up to would be a very good thing at this point. I was able to find this lock of her hair in the archives. I wonder if this might help you establish a better connection. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I sense that we may be losing the historical narrative, so I think perhaps I should narrate things as they happen to me in the same manner as I do for Sage and Savant to create clarity in the record. I work in a 10 square meter room that contains my chair, a neural interface helmet on an automated crane, and a full wall screen that displays the images resulting from entanglement. The AI computer that runs the neural interface and initiates the telesensation sessions is my only workmate, 
and has control over all physical aspects of the room, including the drawer that just opened in the main console. The small receptacle holds a long ginger curl, the strands tied into a bundle by a small silken ribbon. This is Petronella's hair? I've touched it before, when in telesensation with her, I mean. But it is weird holding it in my own hands. DNA analysis has confirmed this is the doctor's hair, gathered after she had her locks shorn in order to disguise her movements about the university. Right. So, let's see if it is a help in re-establishing the telesensation link with her. Initiating telesensation link. I don't... it's not... the link is not establishing as normal. Usually I get a general fade-in, aspects gradually become clear to me. There's a strange sort of overlap. My own recognition of certain details overlays the doctor's and... as my brain takes in the new stimulus from her consciousness, I... I can gradually separate her thoughts, feelings, and sensations from my own. Lucy helps me control the deluge of stimuli, blocking my awareness of my own physical form and, uh, and monitoring my nervous system for electrical spikes right now. Instead of fading in on the doctor and her circumstances, I... I'm receiving a deluge of individual data points coming in flashes, a plant leaf, the the shore of the lake that looks like Lake Recondite, uh, a rough wooden table, bench, a hand, masculine and covered in freckles, uh, a man's face, brown eyes, heavy eyebrows, uh, a coat lapel being being flipped to show a hidden badge. Let's already Tom? Justin, I am pulling you out. Your heart rate has skyrocketed and your cortisol levels are through the roof. We need to reestablish that link. And now that we know she's here somewhere, outside, by the lake, we should be able to make a stronger link. We need to know what she's doing, speaking with us already, Tom! I cannot put you in danger like that, Justin. I need you to calm down. No! You don't understand. These are the bastards that tortured me! They're the ones who are plotting... Something, I don't know what, but if Dr. Sage is mixed up with them... Justin, I am administering a sedative. The medbot is on the way. She's just breathe. End sensation session. There's a ready time we gotta... Come on, lose... No, no, don't lose... No. This employee is experiencing ventricular fibrillation, administering antiarrhythmic... Come on, Justin. Don't have a heart attack on me now. We need you.
I owe you an apology, ladies and gentlemen. It seems that the electrical impulse needed to create the telesensate link is enough to mimic the symptoms of cardiac arrest, or near-cardiac arrest when high cortisol levels combine with a rampant heartbeat. In short, I did not have a heart attack, though all physical signals indicated that I was in cardiac arrest. Lucy took what she thought was life-saving action and sedated me. When I awoke, I was in a bed in the infirmary and Wei Boyang was at my side. I told him that the professor and Abigail were both here and in the hospital. I told him I thought Sage was here also, speaking with a man from Les Arrêts du Temps. He assured me he would take it from that point and urged me to get some rest. They sent me home for the weekend. I tried to see if Ralph, the AI from university, might have spoken to Lucy or have some idea of what was happening, but no luck. I am back at work this morning and ready to find out what happened. Lucy has found an Edison file made by the professor that we can use. Computer, please initialize the telesensation file. File initiated. Abigail and the professor sit on couches in a nondescript office, still in the bodies they have inhabited in my present. Abigail's rugged form is clothed in a zookeeper's uniform. She must have been cleared for work. The professor's long hair is piled onto the top of his head in an intricate knot, and he wears a floral-printed duster. The wall screen flickers soothing scenes from nature, displaying a new picture every couple of minutes. Our two adventurers wait expectantly, sipping tea in silence. The only thing betraying the nervousness they feel is the tapping of Erasmus's long fingers and the twitching of a muscle in Abigail's strong jaw. At long last, the door opens. Wei Boyang! Ah, then you must be Erasmus. How lovely you look. Are you well? I'm fine. This body seemingly died of loneliness and I'm not lonely. Uh, can you tell us what's going on? Your message only said that there was an emergency concerning Petra. Yes, there is much to talk about. But won't you please introduce me to your companion? You know this is not Petra. Yes, and I will explain how, once you have done the necessary thing. I'm sorry, Weibo Young. I meant no disrespect. It's just that your message was very ominous. May I present Mix Abigail Entwistle, an associate of the doctors, and my friend. Abigail, please meet Master Weibo Young, immortal of the Tao and trusted advisor and friend. Very pleased to make your acquaintance, Master Max Boyang. Ah, if you wish to apply your clever honorific, then I would become Mix Wei. I am delighted to make your acquaintance in person, Mix Entwistle. The historical record speaks highly of your scientific abilities. I am sure that Dr. Sage values you highly. Thank you. Not as much as she used to. Yes. This is why we must talk. May I offer you tea, Master? Tea is a balm for troubled hearts. And so the Master listened as the travelers explained everything that had happened over the last few months. Petra's increasing paranoia, her discovery of translateral movement, her pursuit of co-apperception, and her frequent visits to Les Chargés de la Faire in Paris. And still, we do not know who created this mysterious organization, nor what its ultimate purpose is. Ah, with this one small thing, I can help. 
I began Le Chargé de l'Affaire. You? I created Le Chargé de l'Affaire after our time as highwaymen in France. Do you remember, Erasmus? Of course, but... Every night, after a glorious day on the road, at the hour when any other victorious highwayman would be celebrating with wine and women, Petra needed to talk about the pressures of university life. She impressed upon me the fear that her research could be taken away at any moment, that this miraculous ability to live the life of another, no matter how fleeting, would be stamped out before it ever became possible. Petra's right to feel her research is under threat. Kings has not been particularly supportive of her. Ah, yes. Mix Cunningham. Oh, not just Cunningham. There's an entire culture at work here. A host of men who would be best pleased if women ceased to be autonomous beings and simply existed for men's pleasure and convenience. It is an old story. That is why I founded the Institute. From 1890, when Petronella Sage first entered university to the present day, I have employed people to watch over her and be prepared in case of need. But how? How did I know she was about to lose everything in Cunningham's tribunal? I had an inside man. Geoffrey kept me informed of all the goings-on in the science wing. Geoffrey? Geoffrey worked for you? Is that why he was always snooping around? Yes. I was sorry for the subterfuge, but it was necessary. Then Calypso also works for you. Unfortunately, this is where it becomes recondite. The person who calls themselves Calypso is no longer the same as the stranger who swooped into the tribunal and saved the doctor's research. I mm-hmm. can't... Mm-hmm. The story is a complicated one with as many twists and turns as a river flowing from the mountain to the sea. Listen. Wei Boyang explained how he had created Le Chargé de la Faire, how Geoffrey had warned them of Cunningham's plan, how soon after that fateful event, the doctor had begun sending all of her research to Paris, how the woman who we now knew of as Calypso had sickened, how Wei Boyang had used Dr. Sage's research to build a transmigration laboratory, how when the woman died, Wei Boyang briefly transmigrated to inhabit the woman's body, naming her Calypso. How he had eventually found a young man dying of cancer willing to live as Calypso and continue the ruse. Each revelation stunned our heroes more than the last. Finally, Wei Boyang paused to let them catch their breath. That is the background. I think now is a good time to pause and order more tea. Don't you agree? That was just the background? I could definitely use another cup of tea. Maybe something stronger. When they had been properly fortified, Wei Boyang told them of the years after transmigration became accepted science. Petra is hailed as the most important scientist of the age. Many technologies spring from her research. The medical sciences are forever changed. But so too are the greeds of man inflamed. And there are those that use her technology for harm. The world has a brief halcyon century and then descends into darkness. But we've been to the future. We're here now. This time is a miracle. Ah, my friend, you must understand. There is no such thing as the future. There is only the many possibilities of future. 
The first time Petra ventured into 1920s New York, for example. Were there airplanes? Yes, I remember reading about this Lindbergh fellow. But in the 1920s, I remember, transmigration was hailed as the way to travel without leaving home, without risking your own body. The rich and powerful soon learned that it was easier to change the tide of human events by the selective application of poison and a transmigrated ally. Within decades, the world was run by a cabal of shadowy puppet masters. That is horrifying. It is. But it is only one version of what happened. What do you mean by that? History has a way of branching off. Decision points. I'm sorry? Decision points. It's all in the ephemera. Change one thing and everything that interacts with that thing is the possibility of being changed. Well, that doesn't make sense. If Petra were simply staying in her own time, then all the decision points would be restricted to the linear, the way we process time. But she is not staying put. She is flitting forward and back. Every person she speaks to... Every idea she posits... ...have a tendency to cause history to branch. Yes. Most humans do not realize it, of course. Reality is a construct, and we construct reality that makes sense. I, unfortunately, do not have the privilege of a single reality. What do you mean by that? I remember them all. Or, to be more precise, I have fragmented memories of many different versions. The gods thought it amusing, evidently, to grant immortality, but not perfection. I am as forgetful as any human with a memory full of holes. I'm not sure what to do with this information. Be glad you do not have my burdens. Unfortunately, I have not yet told you the worst of it. Recently, my memories have begun changing. Things I have long treasured, moments of time crystallized in recollection, are disappearing. And you think it has something to do with Petra, with her work? Not exactly. I believe there is an organization attempting to manipulate the doctor and change the tenor of her work. Does the name Les Arrêts du Temps mean anything to you? Time stops? They are a terrorist organization who has decided that the technology of transmigration is wasted in the medical arts. You see, after the war of 2146, all uses of Dr. Sage's technology were restricted save medical. Co-apperception has saved millions of lives, but time travel was outlawed. Lesare du Temps wants to change that. But wait, I know Le Charge de l'Affaires, your organization, Transmigrates. We were there. We heard you have transmigrationists. This is where Petra got the idea for induction tables. I have done all that in secret. It began as a way for me to confirm that my memories were being changed. Everything I learned led me back to Dr. Sage and her original research. Something happens in April of 1897 that starts a chain reaction. I found that simply transmigrating into proximity was not enough. 
We invented a new technology. I called it telesensation that allows us to observe history via quantum entanglement with objects from the past. I have been monitoring the doctor's progress, attempting to see where the faults are, hoping to stop Lesare du Temps before they achieve their goals. This is all too much. I knew going to the future was bad. I knew it from the very beginning. So, what can we do? You must find a way to get close to the doctor once more. Her mind is not the same without your influence. I'm working on that, but you know Petra. Once, but no longer. I fear that none of us truly know her or who she is to become. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know what to say. I was unaware that telesensation was anything more than a dynamic new tool for mapping history. I am stunned. What is my role in all of this, and can we arrest the plans of Lesare du Temps? Will Petra forgive Erasmus and welcome his steadying influence back into her laboratory? Can the future be stabilized once again? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for Season 4 was interpreted and recorded by Victor and the Bully. Special music in this episode was provided by The Cog Is Dead. Check them out at cogisdead.com. Episode 402, A Partial Détente, was written by Eddie Louise. Check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com sageandsavant and become a supporter. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.